0: Yo, technology, what is it all about? Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. How are you all doing? I'm good. I'm here. I'm back for another week and this week we're talking flying cars because why not i mean where else are you gonna get this array of subjects last week we had the world's first beverage printer week before that we were talking designer babies then it was quantum computing big tech crackdown burgers made out of mushroom roots and this is all just like in the last month so i do really try hard to keep it lively keep it interesting for you all keep it surprising Um, so I ask just before we get going today take a moment please give a rating give a review it's always a huge help helps other folks find the show thank you but now as I said Flying cars. So, longtime listeners will be well aware of the previous episodes we have done on air taxis, flying cars, whatever you want to call them. There's a whole bunch of companies and they're all very different, but they have a couple things in common. They are typically very, very well funded. This is an expensive business. They're developing electric vehicles, so they're not powered by jet fuel or petrol, and they're also typically taking off vertically and landing vertically like a helicopter, all of which is going toward the goal of creating a whole new kind of inter-intra-city, clean, quiet travel infrastructure, travel experience. There's literally been billions and billions of dollars thrown at this in the last, you know, five, seven years, which is why I was intrigued by what this week's guest is up to. Patrick Hessel is the chief executive of Aeromobile, which is another flying car startup. They're based in Slovakia, and that's not the only reason. It's different, because what they have built is actually a flying car. Like, you can drive this car to work, stop at McDonald's drive through get a sausage McMuffin, my personal favorite. Then drove to your local commuter airport, drive right onto the airstrip, hit a button. The wings come out, the propeller unfurls. Your car becomes a plane and you take off. It is honestly a pretty wild concept. And so when the company got in touch and said this is what they were up to, they were in America, I have to admit, I really just wanted to meet them and ask them one question. Why? Like, why do we actually need a flying car? Do we need a flying car? What problem is it solving? And why is Aeromobile all the way over from here in the first place in Silicon Valley? So I had all these questions, so I headed over to the hiller aviation museum in san carlos it's a little museum that was founded by stanley hiller back in the 90s hiller is a pioneer of helicopters so i could go over there and check out the aeromobile prototype which was right there in the foyer so this is where we start this week right in the foyer of the hiller museum with the aeromobile prototype flying car and what you'll hear first are some <laughs> some of the eager docents at the museum, and then also Carl Hermans, who was Aeromobile's chief commercial officer. He gave me a quick tour of the car itself. He hit the little button to turn it from car to plane, or vi- vice versa, actually. And then he even let me get in, which was uh, cozy, to say the least. So that is what you're about to hear. I have a quick tour of the car And then I sit down for an in-depth conversation with Patrick Hessel to talk about flying cars and, you know, what they're up to. So that is what you're about to hear right now. 1.3 million dollars to get in here, sir. 1.3? Yes, sir. Is there a payment plan? Yes. Okay, great, great. I'll start on that Uh, next week. Well, I can show you the uh, show car,
1: first of all. Would you like to get in? Sure. It's quite easy. Let let me just show you. So you need to first, with the handle, here you need to first stand up straight, hold the handle, and then tuck yourself down and push the little seat cushion forward. It's all carefully. Ergonomically designed for I see. <laughs> compact uh, and light space, but one, once you're in. Hiya,
0: hi Patrick, Danny, nice to meet you. Shall we try this? Sure. I think you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good.
1: So, yeah, it's equivalent to a hypercar, supercar. Right. And maybe even a little more spacious than some of those. And things. this is, oh, this is for the flying. Yeah, so the controls are are dual controls, obviously. The pedals convert from car accelerator and brake to uh, flight. Right, 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 right. Instrumentation, very simple.
0: So can you just tell me who you are, where we are, and what you guys have just shown me? Sure. My name is Patrick Hessel. I'm the CEO
2: of Aeromobile. And we are in San Carlos at the Hiller Aviation Museum, at the heart of uh, Silicon Valley. And we're here for two weeks with uh, Aeromobile, AM 4.0, this,
0: our two-seater model. And yeah, happy to be here. So this is, uh, you've been working on this for quite a while. When did you start and why did you start?
2: I started in this position as CEO about just over two years ago. The company, as such, was founded, however, in 2010. So it's a long history. And yeah, we are now in uh, the final stages before the commercialization.
0: So I know you weren't here for the whole kind of genesis, but can you talk about the history of the company, kind of what the original vision is, if that has changed, if so, how, and kind of what the plan is going forward?
1: Sure.
2: So the original vision was literally to de- 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 design amazing flying cars, and I think we are still uh, very much aligned with that vision. Now, we do have a, a two-seater that we've been working on since the beginning. We had to go through multiple iterations of the design, simply because there literally is no flying car that you can uh, build on from an experience point of view, and you, we needed to literally invent it. And so we had a first design, we tested it, actually all of our four iterations were literally flying and driving. Hmm. So there were real, you know, real flying tests were made and we had learnings from all those uh, iterations. Then the, this fourth iteration is really the commercial vehicle, which then now incorporates also the legal requirements. So the legislative requirements, both of a car and a plane. So there was a lot of design requirements that, had to, had to, you know, that we had to meet, and at the same time, we also have now worked extensively on a four-seater design, which is also a flying car that drives on the road and, and, and flies, and both have really distinctively really, uh, different
0: purposes. I guess the most obvious question is why? Why have a flying car? And I ask because we've had a lot of the you know so-called EV toll. Companies on this podcast, companies like Lilium. We've also had the guys from Uber Elevate on and Archer, and they're all going after a specific, you know, of basically kind of vertical takeoff and landing city to city or city to countryside, whatever it may be. That I understand as a kind of it's basically dramatically expanding theoretically the market for helicopters. But if you can do it silently and do it electrically as opposed to jet fuel or whatever, I can kind of understand that. What I don't, what is less obvious to me is why do you need a car that also, you, you know, wings fold out and all of a sudden you can take it to an airport and take off.
2: So I think the real, um, the, the, the ultimate reason is, is comfort and that the comfort of being in the single seat, the door-to-door comfort, because currently it's this, just so much hassle to travel especially in that range of, let's say, 100 to 500 miles, where it's too far to drive and it's too short and hence inconvenient to to fly. And if you look at a short flight, which may take 40 minutes, the total door-to-door trip may still be four hours. And you're in the car cab, You you have to get out, go through security and all that, mingle with many different people and it's just a, a just a horrible experience mm-hmm. and you know why do people take a taxi in in, in a city where you have a good s- subway let's say in uh, in in New York people just although that you know uh, let's say an Uber may be 10 or 20 times more expensive and may not actually save you any time it's really just the convenience and comfort of sitting in that seat and relaxing working and right. whatever have you and it's the same with the, with a flying car and in our four-seat um, ride-hailing service, we really want to offer that convenience to millions of customers, especially here in the U.S., where you just book a trip straight from your house to the final destination. It's an easy you know, 60-second um, booking experience. And the vehicle comes to your house, and you sit in that rear seat, a very comfortable, beautiful uh, interior environment and you just relax you you can work you can you can play with the entertainment system and uh sleep or just enjoy the view of uh you know the beautiful view in at ten thousand feet right and you get delivered at the doorstep whereas the current alternatives are you know either you drive five six seven hours or you have that horrible experience having to take uh, commercial aviation and even with private aviation you have a, an issue with a with a switching and a lot of the you know the business jets are, are very expensive and also land just at medium sized airports whereas we can land at, at a grass strip runway because we need a a very short runway so uh, we have a lot more access to to infrastructure which is highly underutilized mm. so it's really um ultimately door to door convenience and on top of that we've done an extensive analysis on actually 4 million routes and 600,000 routes in the US are in our favor in terms of time-saving to your best alternative within our range of 100 to 500 miles. Right. So basically you also, on these 600,000 routes, we actually, you actually get a, a positive time-saving and a lot of them have at least a 30% time-saving to your best alternative. So it's that combination of time-saving and comfort.
0: And the four seater would be, so it's one, the pilot slash driver plus three people. So it's a pilot plus three passengers. Right. And just on that time saving, you're still going to have to come to the airport and get out and do security and do all that stuff anyway, aren't you?
2: You don't because we would be using small airports and airfields where you literally drive up onto the runway directly
0: rather than going through the security. Oh, really? Yeah. So the, the FAA just doesn't require it on small airports? Is that It doesn't, deal? correct, yeah. I see. And the driving experience is like kind of like a like a family saloon type car. It's not, in other words, it's not like you know zipping around. And the flying experience is kind of like a Cessna. You said is that right? That's correct. Yes, the flying experience is different
2: from other small air, you know, general aviation aircraft like Cessna, C-Series, et etc. Because our cabin is wider; it's quite a bit wider, and and hence you have it's it's just more spacious in the inside compared to a a normal small plane. And on on the road is, I would say, like a a standard car. It's not designed for maximum acceleration or top speed, but really for
0: comfort. Right, I was just thinking as I was looking at it, I was like, what happens if you get in a fender bender? Because I presume that means you can't fly, is that right?
2: Yeah, I would say it's, um, I think, similar to an
0: aircraft at uh, the airport
2: if it um, gets hit then you have um, to do maintenance or repair.
0: So it would be uh, the, the same here. Have you factored that into your plans? And I presume you have, because it would just seem to me that because it's a car and a plane, it is just susceptible to a, you know, multiple of more factors in terms of things that can go wrong because you're out on the road and people drive crazy and there's potholes and any number of things that can affect what is still a plane. So it could lead to just A lot more kind of flights getting canceled or things going wrong just because, you know, everybody's driving in a car. There's Whereas a plane is like stays on an airfield. It's much more protected. It's kind of in cotton wool relative to like a car. So
2: how often do you actually, you know, let's say crash your car, bump into something? You know, it's actually, it's a rare, um, very rare occasion in the first place. So, if this happens, is yes, we have also censoring systems on on that four seater to to know that this happened. So, of course, you do need to um, have repair in, in in that case. In terms of rough uh, roads, uh, the vehicle has been designed to handle uh, you know potholes and things like that. It has a very um, you know suspension that is capable of of that. Actually, more of an off roading suspension because we um, during the takeoff actually move the suspension down by about 30 centimeters to give a, a bigger angle of attack on the wings. So the suspension is actually suitable for rough terrain.
0: Right. And so you're taking this plane, flash car, around the US. I think you guys were Miami, New York, here, LA. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, how has the reception been amongst potential investors? Do they kind of get it or are they kind of like, um, you know, we've already backed toll company X, Y, and Z? Of course, there's a wide range of investors. There's a
2: category that have had looked at eVTOLs or have already invested into eVTOLs. I think, you know, there was a big hype around eVTOLs yeah. and yeah. everybody, like like a typical herd mentality of investors when one to invest and others will will follow. I think now... Um, it's pretty pretty clear that um, maybe it was too much of a hype, and we look at ourselves as actually a very good hedge to that whole future air mobility market, because we are not uh, really a competitor in terms of to, to EV in terms of our range or the service. Yet uh, we use existing um, technology rather than having to wait for. The you know you know step improvements in on battery energy density, and also you use existing we certify as per existing certifications. So these are the uh, you know which is not the case in EV tolls. Yeah, we use existing infrastructure, both the road and the you know the um, airstrips which again ev tolls need to build a huge amount of very expensive infrastructure all the, the, the charging stations for for ev tolls and parking uh, stations and all that so there's a lot of barriers to mass adoption for ev tolls that we simply don't have and this is basically a it's a new approach that hasn't been out there yeah. nobody actually has even proposed anything like that and so we see a lot of uh, Really interest you know to explore this this alternative uh, approach, and um, I think the arguments are pretty pretty sound. Hmm. Why we believe we would be uh, on the market much sooner and be able to scale faster because we don't have these barriers for the scaling barriers. Right.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. And so, how loud is it when it's a plane? I presume it's a different engine. I don't know in terms of the propulsion. Like, how does it work when it's a car versus a plane?
2: Yeah, it's basically uh, very similar to a let's say standard general aviation um, aircraft in terms of noise. It has a a rear pusher propeller. uh, For the two seater, the four seater has actually two pusher propellers for redundancy reasons. They are electric. But the power source is an internal combustion engine for both vehicles, simply because we need the range. Yeah. And uh, obviously the infrastructure for refueling is is present. We can uh, literally go up to any automotive gas station, which is great. How big is the tank? It's about 250 liters for the two seater and uh, slightly higher for the four seater. Right. So much, much larger than what you have in a car. Yeah. But yeah, pretty standard for, for, for aircraft.
0: Right. Who do you envision as the market for the two-seater? Do
2: you want to say something to that? Uh, uh, Sure.
1: Uh, This is Carl Hermans, uh, recently joined Aeromobile as chief commercial officer. The two-seater market is a luxury product aimed at the users of hypercars, light aircraft, yachts, and also the broader luxury market of fine art and mechanical watches and that sort of thing. The four-seater is a much broader audience, and that is designed to democratize private travel. And the company had a study by a leading global consultancy who measured very scientifically through a survey of 6,000 travelers measured a total addressable market of $70 billion for the ride-hailing service. And that was based upon looking at the 1.4 billion trips that are made in America each year and applying a switching rate based on the survey of 6,000 travelers, a switching rate based upon the
0: combination of price, time, and convenience. So the 1.4 billion trips, is that long road trips or short air trips? Yeah, it is the 100 to 500 mile range of the Aeromobile. Got you. So would you guys operate the ride hailing service?
1: No, the business model for Aeromobile is very thoughtful. We will design the product, engineering, technology, hardware, software, which as you can see is a marvel of engineering. And we will manage the user experience for the ride-hailing service through a proprietary app, like the Uber app. But the capital-intensive manufacturing and the operations-intensive fleet management will be outsourced to specialists in those fields. Specialists like who? Like, what do you mean? We're talking with one of the leading private jet fleet services. I see. How
0: much have you guys raised to date?
1: The company has invested $30 million so far, mostly through private uh, individuals. And we are in now a Series A fundraising. And there are several scenarios of the size of the funds and the uh, timings of the funds.
0: How much do you guys need?
1: To fully produce and fully come to market with both vehicles is roughly $300 million. But there is, uh, as I said, phasing in that, different options. And part of the advantage of launching the two-seater soon in 2024 is when we plan to deliver those vehicles Mm. to customers is that the cash flow from the sales of the two-seater will help the funding development of the four-seater. The Tesla model. Right,
0: exactly. So $30 million over 12 years for a first-of-its-kind aircraft is not a lot of money.
1: It is remarkably efficient how the company has operated, partly because it was founded in Slovakia, where costs are significantly lower than they would be in America, for instance, probably one third. So the 30 million of actual cash invested would be more like the equivalent of 100 million if the work had been done in America.
0: Right. And so, where is the company now? In terms of you've spent 12 years to get to this point. Is the four-seater just a schematic right now? We've completed the
2: engineering design for the four-seater on a preliminary basis. And the next phase is a detailed uh, engineering and then the prototype
0: build. That should take about two years from now. Right. So basically, how badly do you need the money? It's like, what happens if you don't raise the money on this, on this roadshow? Is that a possibility? And if so, is that the dream over? I,
2: I, well, first of all, I think any uh, pre-revenue company needs money yeah, to operate. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, obviously you 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 always need to raise money to continue going forward. Of course, we have existing investors. We have already investors that have expressed now their interest, and it's uh, just a matter of structuring the round and also finding the right lead investor who who leads the round.
0: Yeah. Right. Is finding enough pilots to pilot this plane? Is it going to need its own kind of type rating? Is it kind of like? Do you see a limitation there?
2: For the two seater, it really is. Uh, you, all you need is a standard PPL, and you can fly it, and it's easy to fly, like a Cessna one seventy two. For the four seater service, because it's a commercial service, you need a higher degree of of, of the license, but it's not um, nearly. The same as a commercial pilot license for, you know, the big commercial airlines. Right. And as such, it is actually a, a stepping stone for pilots to fly already commercial, but on small planes, get enough flight experience to get to their 2,000 hours that are needed to then be a, a pilot for the big um, commercial airlines should they choose to
0: go that path afterwards. Right, right, right. Um, And how did you get involved with the company? What were you doing before?
2: I am an entrepreneur. I I started my first uh, company 15 years ago, engineering design in carbon fiber components for the automotive and aerospace industry. So I worked on probably over 100 complex development projects from engineering to industrialization to then serial supply. And I just was uh, watching this, this industry for quite a few years. As I'm also, uh, you know, car and, and plane enthusiast, and just fell in love with uh, the problem that we're trying to solve, that the mid-range, you know, travel is uh, really an, an issue, and you know, many, many times I, I, I would not go on a trip that would take maybe six hours by car, especially for a weekend, because yeah. it's literally too long, and there are no good alternatives. So now i I you know, am also private pilot, so of course you can you can fly, but the problem again if you if you fly somewhere, especially if for like a tour you you land somewhere and then you you're basically stuck there so i I, I liked uh, I just watched the company and I decided to invest in the company mm. and then sometime two years later, I actually sold my previous company, the carbon
0: fiber business, and I stepped in as a full-time CEO. whoa. Are you worried though that the EV tolls because the EV tolls, I mean, they're getting better. The range has improved. Batteries are getting better. Electric motors are getting better. And there's a lot more money in that sector of the market. So, you know, like all of these technology kind of innovation curves, at a certain point you kind of reach parity with what you need to reach parity with, and all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, well, that just makes sense now. That's we I get it. Are you worried that just uh, the wall of money that has been thrown at that sector will basically bounce you guys out before you even have a chance to kind of get a, a foothold?
2: I think now that companies come come closer to their promised uh, delivery targets within the eVTOL segment and are struggling to to achieve uh, especially the range, but also the certification status, investors are becoming increasingly aware that actually the eVTOL uh, market is still very premature and the, the the claimed launch dates of initially 2024 and now they're being pushed out already um, will surely not come to fruition. And even if you had a product that would be certified at some point, that's very far from having a real commercial operation because you need to put in place all that infrastructure. So uh, I, I think range is One of the biggest issues, you know, you you can look at the the eVTOL companies out there on the market. If they had the full payload as they're projecting, then to my knowledge, they could still not actually take off and do a single mile of commercial operation as of today. Is that right? i mean you can see um some companies they've done flight tests they've put the they've filled it up with with uh, batteries Six hundred pounds or with batteries instead of the let's say five passengers so you would have maybe up to almost 1000 pounds of, of of batteries and they've flown let's say maybe 150 miles but actually if you do that calculation what that actually translates into in terms of commercial operation if you also take into account the safety time that you need in the air then actually this translates to currently a negative commercial range so to get to a range of you know 100
0: miles will take a very long time sorry i don't follow so you're saying if you if you pack it up with the equivalent of four or five people yeah it can fly 150 miles but so, how does that equate to a negative commercial value, or basically can't even fly a single mile?
2: because the current tests that have been done, the basically vehicle has been loaded with batteries instead of passengers. so if you put uh, loaded with passengers, then obviously you have any less uh, batteries in there and if you do that calculation, and then add the safety time in the air that is needed, and I think is still being also let's say negotiated in the new eVTOL legislation that is also not final, then you still get to a negative range. So I do believe that, you know, within maybe some years you get to a low range and it may be just 20, 30 miles initially. Mm. And this will, of course, go up over the time. And um, I think for the mission, eVTOL mission, that range may be suitable Within cities or to really close by adjacent cities, but it's really just a very different mission yeah. um, profile from flying, let's say, two, 300 miles or even 500 miles and having the door to door experience and comfort. So, back to your question, I think investors will be increasingly aware of the. Limitations of of the EVTEL segment, and they a lot of investors, you know, c- continue to be interested in the future of mobility, of course, and they will be uh, looking at alternative ways that have less obstacles, less barriers to mass adoption. And I think we have a you know great um, solution here with a huge market that was calculated by a leading uh, management consultancy. And we aim to have 5,000 vehicles out out there on the road, 5,000 flying cars, that each generate about two million dollars of annual revenue from the ticket sales, which you know equates to about ten billion dollar uh, revenue, with existing infrastructure, existing uh, certification, and ex- even existing technology of you know internal combustion engine. Right.
0: Who's the kind of founding father, so to speak, of this company? Whose original kind of crazy idea was this?
2: The company was founded by by two people in two thousand and ten, and one of them is an, an aircraft engineer, an inventor. The other person is a business strategist and, and visionary, and they really yeah built the company together. Where this was in Slovakia, right? And are they still involved? One of them has uh, left the company, and the other one is still a shareholder.
0: Got you. But is it everybody happy, or is that a is that a there's some bitterness around that?
2: Oh, um, I think that's, everything is happy and
0: amicable. Right, 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 right. I ask cause there's a lot of, you know, the famously the Tesla example, there's a lot of these companies that take a really long time to develop because it's very hard. Oftentimes the original founders get, they're pushed out or push themselves out over time just because, you know, it requires a different set of skills to actually take this idea and actually turn it into something that's sustainable.
2: No, I think um, there's no, you know, no lawsuits or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Everything was was uh, just amicably um, right. agreed. So how much longer are you in the States? For another month. Right. And are you flying this thing around? So we have uh, two vehicles. One is a flight testing prototype that is under testing in Slovakia. Hmm. We follow the you know, the aviation to test procedures for, for a new type of aircraft. And the other vehicle um, is a non-functional vehicle that we are just showing The one here we just saw. In, uh, the, in the U.S., right.
0: correct. I see. I see.
2: And the functional
0: vehicle, you can see videos, you know, online. Yeah. Okay. Anything that keeps you up at night when you're thinking about trying to make this thing a reality? Um, many things. <laughs> it's uh, definitely a
2: challenging project. It's very exciting at the same time because it is, you know, would be the first commercially available flying car. We've been to the moon over 50 years ago. I still don't have a flying car. And also the service itself is, is, um, you know, very, very innovative and, and new. And the challenges, uh, are, you know, on every front, there are some challenges yeah. from, from the technical ones, commercial ones, but I'm happy with the progress. Both in terms of the flight testing and the test results that we're having on the two seater. Uh, happy that we have now completed the preliminary engineering design of the four seater and have just announced that uh, ride hailing service literally uh, today. And happy to um, have traction from the general, let's say, people. I mean, we've, we've seen. Uh, for example, on, on social media, one recent post was actually had more than a hundred million views on that from that one person who, who posted it randomly. I would say, and um, so it just shows that there's a lot of uh, just internal interest from from the from the public. Anything you want to say, uh, Carl?
1: Well, maybe I I think I'm new enough that I can still uh, I I still have the excitement of. You know, I decided to join the company after 20 years working in the luxury world, in in the art world and uh, luxury retail. I think this is a fantastic proposition and everyone we meet with is amazed to see that this technology that we've waited all these years is finally real
0: and is finally coming to market. Right. It sounds like you guys have your work cut out. (laughs) Um, Well, look, thanks very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Patrick. I want to thank Carl for taking the time. Um, thank you all for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this idea. I'm sure you could probably pick up for me. It seems like uh, it's a let's say it's a limited market. I'm happy to be proven wrong. I often am, but it does seem uh, like this is it's an uphill climb. Um, But they're obviously going after it. We'll see if they can raise the money. Um, It's obviously very cool tech. We shall see. But um, that is it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I will be back next week with another one, as usual. So in the meantime, stay safe, stay sane. I will be writing about this and some other stuff in the Sunday Times. Do check that out at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson, email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it. Have a fabulous week and talk soon. Bye-bye.